You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to another edition of Cowboys Cast presented by bloggingtheboys.com. I am your host, Bobby Belt. Coming up a little bit later today, we're going to talk with NFL receivers coach Phil McGagan, who was most recently with the Los Angeles Chargers. We're going to get him to preview the Chargers matchup a little bit and also talk about some of the things he saw on film from the Cowboys and uh, some of his thoughts on Amari Cooper. And it's going to be a really enlightening conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. We're also going to take uh, some of your questions that you submitted on Twitter. But before we move on to any of that, we are going to just quickly take a look at what happened with the NFC East on Sunday. And then I also want to quickly after that, just address something that Michelle Tafoya said on the Thursday night broadcast that a lot of people seem to miss. So after one week, the only undefeated team in the NFC East is the Philadelphia Eagles. They beat the Falcons 32 to six. Jalen Hurts actually had an impressive day, 27 to 35, 264 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, another 62 yards rushing. It's the Falcons. They're terrible. Um, as my buddy Patrick Walker said on Twitter, maybe everything wasn't Dan Quinn's fault. Um, you saw how bad the Atlanta Falcons looked, not just on offense, but I mean, just all the trouble they had trying to stop the Eagles from doing whatever they wanted. Miles Sanders had a good day. Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager. I mean, Jalen Hurts spread the ball around, was able to do whatever he wanted. Um, so I don't know if that's indicative of the future of the Eagles, but at least it was they, they did what they were supposed to do. They handled the Falcons, and Jalen Hurts did it in an impressive fashion. The other two teams in the NFC East lost, of course. Uh, we had the Chargers, who are the Cowboys' opponent this week, topping Washington 20-16. to Washington led for a good chunk of the second half, but uh, Mike Williams scores on a three-yard touchdown pass from Justin Herbert with 11 minutes left, and that ultimately was the death knell for Washington, 20-16, to the Chargers win. Uh, Justin Herbert against a really good defense in Washington throws for 337 yards and a touchdown, so that makes you a little concerned about what he might be able to do against Anthony Brown and this Cowboys secondary who, uh, you know, have their struggles against Tom Brady. And the Chargers have a really good receiving group there. So tough task for Dallas's defense coming up. But uh, interesting to note that Los Angeles handled that Washington defense pretty well. Uh, and then the other game, Jason Garrett was trending on Twitter yesterday and not for a good reason for Giants fans. The Giants offense was terrible. Uh, they lose to the Broncos 27-13. to 13, And I think they said that was the first... September victory for the Broncos since like 2017. I'd have to go back and look, but I know they beat the Cowboys in 2017. So it may have been that their last September victory was against Dallas for Denver. Uh, But the Giants, 
uh, get routed at home by the Broncos, 27 to 13, a late touchdown, uh, you know, brought it to within 14. It was as time expired. Daniel Jones scored on a run, but just a really terrible day for the Giants offense and things don't look too promising there. So that's kind of the recap of the NFC East. Nobody looks that impressive. In fact, you could make an argument that Dallas's performance was the most impressive of them all, um, even with the Eagles being the winning team, um, just given who the Eagles opponent was. So Dallas in a good position after the first week. And I think a lot of people feeling optimistic about their chances uh, for the rest of the season. Of course, that was dampened a little bit by the Michael Gallup news that he'll be out three to five weeks with the calf strain and the Lyle Collins suspension, which is bizarre. And there's a lot of oddities with that that we'll try and touch on later in the show when we get to the mailbag. But um, you have to at least feel like Dallas is in a decent position after week one to really contend for this NFC East title. Uh, now, really quickly, before we get to the interview with Phil McGagan, I wanted to play this clip because I brought it up on Twitter and a lot of people said they didn't even hear it. So I'm going to play it real quick. This was Michelle Tafoya before the kickoff of Thursday's game talking about Dak Prescott. This will be the first game for Dak Prescott since week five of last season when he suffered that horrendous injury to his right ankle that ended a season and required two surgeries. He had fully recovered in time for training camp when his right shoulder began to bother him. And he was diagnosed with a strain to his right lat muscle, the large muscle on either side of the back. Now, the top of that muscle attaches to the front of the upper arm near the bicep tendon, basically in the armpit. And that is where the strain occurred. It's an injury rarely seen in football, but often seen among major league pitchers. So on the advice of the Texas Rangers medical staff, Dak stopped throwing for two weeks. He gradually worked his way back, and Mike McCarthy told me his quarterback now has no limitations whatsoever. And Dak confirmed to me that he will have that shoulder have an MRI every two weeks to just keep an eye on that injury. But tonight, Al, he said he's ready to let it rip. Now, look, I'm not here to say, ah, look, he, his arm's falling off and, and get you guys all riled up because I know some people said they have the MRI machine. Why not just put him in it? And, and that's fine. That's good if you want to take it that way. But I will say that there's not another injury generally that you would continue to MRI every two weeks for the rest of the season, which means there's at least some concern about the long-term health of Dak Prescott. Not like he's going to be out for the season, but that at least sounds like they're expecting him to deal with this on some level, whether it's pain management or something else for the rest of this year, or at least it's a decent possibility that it crops back up. Now he threw the ball 58 times against Tampa Bay, looked good doing it. Didn't test a lot downfield though. Um, Part of that was probably the game plan um, and not so much about his inability to do it. Um, We can ask Phil McGagan for his take on that here in a few minutes, but I just thought it was interesting to play that clip because there were so many people who apparently missed it leading into kickoff, but it just seems like if it was no issue at all, if they were truly past all of it, you don't need to stick them in an MRI machine every two weeks for the rest of the season. That is something that means something. So something to keep an eye on, probably an issue where Dak is going to be dealing with pain management. Like I said, most of the season, um, didn't seem to hold him back too much in the game against Tampa Bay, but at least something we should keep an eye on. And it's just a, a continuance of just this bizarre air surrounding that injury. And, and some of the things the Cowboys have said and some of the ways they've handled it, it's just been odd. And so I'm sure it's ultimately nothing, but it's certainly been handled in a puzzling way. Now let's transition over. Uh, let's talk with Phil McGagan. 
Joining us now is Phil McGagan. Phil is a former NFL wide receiver and has spent the last 15 years as a coach, including eight seasons in the NFL, with his most recent stop coming as receivers coach for the Chargers for the last three years. We're going to chat with Phil about what he saw in Thursday night's game and get some of his insights on what the Chargers receivers bring to the table for next week's contest against the Cowboys. You can follow him on Twitter at Phil McGagan. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Bobby. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Excited to have you and uh, your expertise here. And I know you watched the Thursday game uh, that the Cowboys played against the Buccaneers, one that was disappointing, but maybe a bit of a a moral victory, I guess. You know, let me start off with that. As somebody who's coached in the NFL and played in the NFL, do you believe in the idea of moral victories? No. So what what it does, though, the the first thing that you have to, to look at is, this was an outstanding football game with, with two really good football teams, two outstanding rosters, and then also coaching staff. So the NFL had an outstanding product on Thursday night. There was no question about that. They picked two teams to showcase. They picked the right two teams. Uh, but as for moral victories is concerned, I don't believe in that. But what I do believe in is the better competition you play earlier in the season – the more ability you have to correct the mistakes that are going to cost you games as you come down the playoff stretch in December, all right, and then the playoffs in January, and then ultimately Super Bowl in February, uh, I believe that this gives you an opportunity to, to learn more about your football team earlier, and you don't get away with those mistakes um, in close games and then get a little complacent, and then it comes back to bite you uh, later on in the season. I think fans were encouraged because – I don't know how many of them were confident they could hang with Tampa and Tampa's talent, um, but it, it was at least encouraging for them to walk away and see that Dallas was in it. And if not for, you know, a, just terrible special teams or, you know, a couple CD lamb drops, they, they could have won that game. Um, what were your main takeaways from Dallas's performance? So I thought Dak Prescott was outstanding uh, to, to, for a couple of reasons, his decision-making. Um, and there was a lot of, there was a lot going on. You know, with with uh, the RPOs, he had to assess the box count a number of times. He had to either hand the ball off or distribute the ball to the perimeter. Um, you know, they dropped back, I think, 58 times. He took one sack. Um, you know, he, he was unbelievable in clock management situations. Uh, I thought he looked fantastic. Uh, obviously, the kicking game, they got to get some things squared away with, especially when you're playing Tom Brady and uh, elite-level quarterbacks like that. But overall, um, you know, I thought the Cowboys looked uh, very sharp, especially for week one. And that's a very good football team. I, I My thing is, is that, you know, everybody had these concerns about Dak Prescott's shoulder and, and everything that had happened in, you know, training camp and, and some of just the concerns people seem to have with how cagey the Cowboys were about the details of his injury and, and how much they were just, they were talking a little funny about it. And they've got a weird history on injuries to begin with. But, um you know, Dak looked solid, but also there was not a lot of, of downfield throws. I think he had, you know, two attempts that were about 30 yards. But I mean, other than that, it was all pretty much underneath. Do you think that was an issue of potentially limiting him a little bit, like like with his physical capabilities? Or do you think it was more about that was just what the game plan called for? That's what Tampa was going to give him. And that's where they were going to try and get their profits. But let's let's look back to the last time Tampa Bay was on that football field. All right. They had Patrick Mahomes running for his life. They sacked him a number of times. That's a very good pass rush led by Todd Bowles, Casey Rogers. I mean, they got Jason Pierre-Paul. I mean, they got a number of guys that can get after the passer. I mean, you got to, you know, the very first play of the game, they run the big box fade inside the five to get them out of the, um, you know, that backed up mm-hmm. position that they were in with, with the punt. So I, I believe that it was more just 
listen, our, our game plan is to take these pass rushers out of the game. Like, let's not let these guys wreck the game. And, and that's, to me, that's an intelligent strategy when you're dealing with a group of guys that can really ruin a, ruin a Thursday night, really ruin an opening weekend. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that uh, opening field, you know, that opening pass that Dak had down the field to Amari. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion, I think, among Cowboys fans leading into this season that, you know, CeeDee Lamb might be primed to be like, you know, take it to the next level and be like your new number one receiver. And I think that, you know, there, there's maybe some slight uh, unintentional disrespect to the type of player Amari Cooper is. And I think after this game on Thursday night, a lot of people are like, OK, CeeDee's still got a ways to go before he's Amari Cooper because Amari was absolutely fantastic. And of course, CD had a couple of, you know, drops there. I know you've been familiar with Amari for a very long time, um, having coached at the collegiate and the NFL level. Um, what is it you think that makes Amari Cooper so special? I mean, people know, you know, he's such a fantastic route runner, but, you know, he's also a quieter guy. I don't know that people always know exactly, you know, uh, how intelligent a player he is. What is it to you that makes Amari Cooper so special? So first and foremost, no Amari Cooper slander will be tolerated <laughs> in my presence. All right, this this is a special athlete, a special young man. Um, you know his route savvy is is obvious. You know his intelligence for the game, his work ethic is about as good as anybody I've ever been around. His quiet leadership skills. You know, to me, I don't want to hear leadership. I want to see leadership. So mm-hmm. he's a person who displays leadership in the smallest of details within the drills off-season preparation, the way he carries himself. I like this guy a lot. And so, to me, it's about consistency. It's about availability. It's about doing it year in and year out. Um, you know, Amari Cooper is a premier receiver, period. A lot of people, I think, hear, you know, that guy's a good route runner or they'll hear that, you know, oh, well, that's a talented athlete, but maybe he's not a great route runner. And I don't know that fans always understand what that means and, and what sort of subtleties go into that. Um, you know, I know this is a, a very broad topic and, and you could jump into a lot of details on it, but just kind of what's a basic overview for you um, to fans as to like what makes a receiver a good route runner? What, what are those skill sure. sets and, the, and those little details you look for? Sure. So you're going to see man coverage in the NFL. So, you know, this isn't, you know, the big 12 when you get quarters coverage and you get free access and all that, you know, you're getting press man coverage. So can he get off the line of scrimmage and win? All right. Mm-hmm. Quickly, because again, you got about two and a half, three seconds before the quarterback is, is being uh, harassed and under supreme duress with these, these elite pass rushers that we have in this league at this point. All right. So can he get off the line of scrimmage? All right. How quickly can he get into his route? Then again, at the top of the route, there's a lot going on from a breakpoint mechanic standpoint as far as change of direction, creating separation, all right, leverage, attacking leverage, uh, being able to you know, catch the ball contested. Because then, like we talked about, we have press man coverage. There's going to be a lot of contested throws. Uh, so can you catch the ball in traffic? So again, these are all things that he does extremely well. He's very comfortable with confrontation uh, at the line of scrimmage and at the catch point. Um, he's very savvy, understands how to you know, use his eyes, all right, understands how to use his body, lean in, separate. Um, you know, he's just he got great hands. I mean, the, the guy's premier. I know that you, we mentioned you uh, in the intro that, you know, you played in the NFL a little bit. You've coached here for a while. I know that one of your stops was New Orleans and that you were playing under Mike McCarthy when he was the offensive coordinator for the Saints. I think that there's a a, a – 
curiosity for Cowboys fans that they know Kellen Moore runs the offense and, you know, Bones Fossil has a big say on special teams and, and obviously the defense is run by Dan Quinn. And so there's some people who I think wonder, all right, well, wh- where's McCarthy's impact felt and, and what are his strengths <laughs> as a coach? Um, as somebody who played with him, where do you think McCarthy really excels as a coach? He, he's a premier play caller in this league. I mean, he's an unbelievable offensive mind. He's one of the best to do one of the, one of the best to do it over the last 20 years. I mean, him, Andy Reid. I mean, there's just a number of guys still around that are doing it at, at such a high level who have so much success, um, who have so much knowledge and information. Um, game planning wise, they understand, um, you know, the, the whole big picture about what runs you can run into those fronts and what, you know, pass concepts you can fit into those uh, pass uh, coverages specifically and how to attack the, the zones and how to create separation versus man using stacks and bunches and motions. I mean, and this is, this is one of the premier coaches in the NFL and obviously the Cowboys is uh, the highest valuation, you know, in the, in the world for a professional sports team. So they have, uh, you know, one of the best coaches to ever do it offensively. And, and, you know, his, I can see, you know, all the concepts that, that, you know, Coach Philbin uh, brought down to Miami when I worked for him for four years. Those concepts are, are being run, you know, with, with Dallas. I mean, it's, it's sound football. It's intelligent, schematic football that gives the players a chance to win uh, and succeed. I mean, that's that's what I see. I also think that, you know, there there were questions last year specifically on defense, not so much with offense, but specifically on defense about uh, the culture and, and how things were with um, – you know, the, how the team was blending and, and coming together. I, I think that when you look at Mike McCarthy, I do think one of his strengths is probably that um, I, I think it's easy specifically for young players, but I mean, players in general, I think it's easy for young players to follow him and, and to buy into what he's selling. What, what kind of a culture coach do you think that he is? 100%. I mean, he, he's a, he's an awesome human being. He's a very likable, personable uh, man. He also holds you accountable you know, not in a negative way, but just, you know, you want to, you want to please him. You want to get it right. You want to make a play um, because he puts you in a position to make plays because he's given you plays that are going to be successful against the coverages and fronts that you're seeing, um, you know, in the pass and run game respectively. Uh, so he also hires unbelievable coaches. I mean, we have Joe Phil with an offensive line coach. I mean, this is as detail of person that you'll ever be around. Um, meticulous, fastidious. This guy just studies everything. So, um, you know, he's got an unbelievable reservoir of information in the run game with Coach Philbin. Adam Henry, in my opinion, is top five receiver coach in the NFL. He's coached unbelievable players at LSU, uh, where he had turned out Jarvis Landry and uh, Odell Beckham. And then he obviously had an unbelievable run in the NFL with great players as well, uh, developing young talent managing egos, helping people understand uh, the team mentality. So, you know, Coach McCarthy not only is talented um, and a legend in the sport and an icon, uh, you know, around the league, but he attracts other like-minded coaches that are talented that can get the most out of their players. 
This upcoming week, Dallas is going to be facing uh, the Chargers, a, a team that you know very well, uh, having uh, coached the receivers there for the last few years. Um, we saw that, you know, Anthony Brown got picked on a little bit by Tom Brady, and I, I think there's still some questions in the secondary, and they've got a, a tall task with that Chargers passing game coming in here. Justin Herbert, um, who looked really good against Washington, who's considered to be one of the top defenses in the league. Um, you've got those receivers like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams that can make things really difficult for the Cowboys. What kind of challenge Challenges are they running into with this passing attack? So, you know, Keenan is is a guy who can really separate, you know, versus man. He's our very crafty versus zone, can find the windows. Herbert's got a rocket for an arm. He's athletic enough to escape um, pressure. You know, you have Mike Williams, who, again, one of the better 50-50 jump ball guys in the NFL. Uh, you know, huge target, you know, 6'3 plus, 215, 220 pounds. Uh, can run well for his size, you know, un- unbelievable body control, uh, makes plays. So, I mean, they're going to have their hands full with, with, with the Chargers perimeter. You know, they, they acquired Jared Cook, um, who is a rare vertical stretch talent for the tight end position. So that'll be an interesting uh, matchup to watch, you know, as even as the season progresses for the Chargers, because he does add a dynamic down the field that most tight ends don't really have in this league. And with Herbert's arm strength, I'm kind of excited to see what they're able to do. And you got Austin Eckler out of the backfield. I mean, with what he can do in space, it's tough. You know, it's a tough matchup on linebackers if you're going to put him in the pass game. Oftentimes, if he does motion empty, you've got to dedicate a strong safety. Um, or if it's zoned, then the corner will just bump out and play him. Uh, but he does create some matchup issues from a personnel standpoint um, out of the backfield with Austin Eckler. Uh, it's funny you, we talked there about Herbert and you know he's he's a young guy and a guy who kind of burst onto the scene last year and um, you know showed he could compete right away and it gets me thinking about how Dak Prescott steps in as a fourth rounder and, and leads you know the Cowboys to the best record in the NFC and you know you saw uh, a young quarterback stepping in and playing well really early with you know Baker Mayfield in recent years and, and Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes Um it seems to have shifted a little bit. I'm just curious on a, a macro scale, your, your view of, of the league. Um, why is it you think that quarterbacks are, are more able these days, it seems like, than in the past, like, you know, the you know, 80s, 90s, up through just a few years ago, um, that quarterbacks are able to step in as rookies and, and perform really well? Is that just a case of the NFL is picking up more college concepts and so they're more familiar with what they're walking into? Or what do you think the deal is that quarterbacks, young quarterbacks are able to step in and contribute right away? I love that question. It's, it's a complex question. I'll do my best to keep it simple for you from my opinion. Uh, But I feel like we've taken a little bit off of the younger quarterbacks as far as with some of the spread sets, like you said, like you alluded to coming from the college ranks, they're playing with more spread sets. So, you know, back in the day, the NFL was a lot of tight end, fullback, two receiver sets, you know, 12 and 21, two tight ends, um, you know, where you can find yourself with seven and eight man fronts. That means you got to have two plays on, you got to check it, you know, can, can change it to another play. And then you got to get them in the right play. And then, so there's a lot of, a lot of uh, communication that has to take place for these young quarterbacks. Um, which oftentimes keeps them off the field. So they're not able to play as quickly as some of the older veteran players who might not be quite as talented as a younger player, but until they were able to make all the checks and get them out of these bad looks versus these bad 
fronts and, you know, these negative run plays that you're going to get hit with. If you you see a strong safety, uh, Sam pressure uh, under defense, you can't run outside zone into that. So you got to check weak side zone away to the split inside. You know, it's happening so fast for these young guys. So you can't necessarily play fast as, as you would like to in the old 2001 to 2010 NFL. Things started to change there in 2010 to present, you know, where you're having more open sets, where the reads are more yes-no. So what I'm talking about with a yes-no is like these RPOs. Everybody knows about run-pass options. But, for example, the Cowboys will have two backs in the backfield. They'll motion Pollard out. If nobody travels outside the box and he's motioning to the two-receiver side, that's a yes for Dak to throw the ball outside because now we have three eligible receivers over two defensive backs. Mm. So it's easier for somebody to read rather than having to sit there and then check a play, get him into another play, and then what if the defense gets out of the, the pressure? Now you're running it into a bad look there. So, again, you're able to just say yes or no based on what you see in real time. You either hand the ball off or you spit the ball to the outside to the perimeter. You know, so that's one example of it. And then, again, you could have off coverage. So, again, we have an inside zone play, and now we're running a speed out by a receiver versus off coverage. Yes or no? Does he have off coverage? Yes. The ball gets thrown out there. So, again, that, again, and you're looking at favorable box counts. Is there seven men in the box? Yeah, there is. That means the ball must go outside. Is there a six-man front? That means you hand the ball off. So, I believe that what we've done – uh, is made it easier for the quarterback to make definitive decisions and play faster and play more confidently, allowing his, his athletic talent to take over. Phil McGagan is a fantastic follow on Twitter. You should check him out there. It's at Phil McGagan, and I'll spell that for you. McGagan is M-C-G-E-O-G-H-A-N. Uh, some wonderful insight there, and you'll definitely want to be keeping up with him on social media during this season for uh, his insights like the ones you just heard there. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it, man. No problem, Bobby. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much to Phil McGagan for stopping by and giving us his insight. Um, hope to have him on a lot more this season. I think he's got a really unique perspective and can break down the game in a really accessible way for fans. And so if you enjoyed him, let him know about it on Twitter. Uh, give us a shout. But I think we'll be having him on a lot more. He's, he's a really, really sharp guy and somebody I enjoy talking football with. Okay. Uh, so I asked you guys on Twitter if there was anything specific you guys wanted to talk about. And we got some replies. So I figure we'll just open this up as a little bit of a mailbag. Uh, so the first one is from Dan Orlovsky, not the real Dan Orlovsky, of course, um, but it's somebody who at least is pretending to be him on Twitter. And they said, sounds like Lyle Collins is getting a raw deal. Any input slash thoughts? Um, this Lyle Collins suspension, which for those of you that have not heard it yet, which I'm sure you have, but uh, Friday afternoon, it was announced that he was getting a five game suspension for violation of the substance abuse policy. Um, there's nothing on the books in the NFL drug policy that says a substance abuse issue is a five game penalty. There is a, for the second time you're punished for methamphetamines or, or for amphetamines and, you know, Adderall and diuretics and things like that. Um, that is a five game suspension. So I don't know if they're somehow taking that as precedence and applying it to Lyell's case. And somehow, um, it's still murky as to what exactly he was in the drug program for. Um, there was a report on SI from Jason Lockamfora that he's been tested 10 times a month for the last 18 months, which that's not totally unusual. Um, I know there have been players before that have been tested with that frequency. Randy Gregory had talked about that, um, when he came back. Um, so it's, it's not totally unheard of for that to happen. 
Um, but I, I don't know why Lyle would have been in the program, but missing a test, missing these tests or, or refusing to take them or whatever the story is, because apparently it was not a failed test, um, missing these tests um, would result in this suspension only if he had already been in the drug program. So something's off here. We're, we're missing a lot of details here and hopefully we can get some more clarity about it. Um, but as it stands now, we don't know exactly what he's in the program for. Um, there's Lyle is disputing the, the, or his representation is disputing the refusal to take the tests and, and they're in this appeal process. They've already appealed apparently, and it was rejected, but they feel like the appeal process has not been exhausted. And so that's part of where this tension is coming from. Mike McCarthy didn't have any other comments on it. He just said they were not surprised by the suspension. So this is something that's been brewing. It's been something that's been out there and that the Cowboys have been aware of. Um, It'll be interesting to see who plays at right tackle now. I don't know if they will opt for Zach Martin moving outside and continue with Connor McGovern inside. I kind of think that given Phil, uh, Joe Philbin's preference and, and liking of Terrence Steele, that it's very possible we see Terrence Steele starting at right tackle. Um, and, you know, that didn't go so great last year, but they've apparently been happy with his growth this offseason, and he was one of their weight room winners, one of their offseason workout winners. And so, um, you know, the, they seem to feel confident enough in Terrence Steele to do the job at right tackle if need be. Uh, next up, a lot of you asked about Anthony Brown and his issues. He, of course, had a really rough go of it against Antonio Brown and the Buccaneers. Uh, Todd Corey specifically on Twitter said replacing Anthony Brown is the in the starting lineup is an important item. Save us, Mr. Belt. I'd love to save you. Um, I don't see them replacing him in the lineup. I don't see them going out and making any sort of a move to replace him, whether it be through trade or free agency. The most I think you could hope for or consider would be Maurice Kennedy getting a shot at the starting lineup. Um, but they didn't seem in a hurry to rotate Anthony Brown out of the game. Kennedy only got two snaps in the entire game. And this was a game where Dan Quinn was doing a lot of heavy rotation in the linebacker unit and in the defensive line unit. So in a game where he's looking for the right combination and looking for fresh legs, he didn't seem to want to sub out Anthony Brown. So I think you're just going to have to hope that things get better with Anthony Brown. Um, if things get worse, it may come to a head, but I don't know that you can survive it getting much worse for an extended period of time. Um, but sure, I'd like to see Maurice Kennedy get a shot. Um, maybe if Kelvin Joseph would have been available, then you would have seen a heavier rotation and he would have been in there getting some of those snaps. And so that may be what you have to hope for is just when Kelvin Joseph returns. Uh, but again, that's, that's a rookie and, and you're banking out a lot on that rookie. Now you're you lucked out or not lucked out. You, you should be grateful that Trayvon Diggs looked as good as he did against Tampa Bay. He looked like a legit, you know, number one corner in that game, made plays on the ball, um, you know, didn't get targeted a lot when he was targeted. I think he only gave up one catch and it was for like 10 yards. So Trayvon Diggs is playing really well. And there's things to be excited about on that defense. I understand Anthony Brown is not one of them. And I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon. I think you're just going to roll with Anthony Brown and have to hope that his play improves because I don't know that he's coming off of the field. Uh, A couple other people asked about the Michael Gallup situation, which with that cap strain, he's out three to five weeks reportedly. Um, Mike McCarthy just called it a multi-game injury, but the report out there is three to five weeks. Um, 
Cedric Wilson should be the one stepping up here, and he'll be in the rotation a little more heavily. They've got Noah Brown behind him, and I know the Cowboys like Noah Brown, um, but Cedric Wilson is a guy that has Dak Prescott's trust and that has uh, worked well with Dak. I mean, we saw in the Seattle game last year that they had chemistry there, and they've worked together for a few years now, and I think really connect well, and that's a guy that Dak would vouch for. So I think you're looking at Cedric Wilson stepping in and being the guy that that they want to step up and, and enter this trio of receivers with C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. So I'd look for Cedric Wilson to be the guy that steps up, and I think you should feel good about that. Not as good as Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup is a better player, um, but I think there is some comfort in the fact that Dak Prescott is as, as comfortable with him as he is because that is a big part of that receiver and quarterback connection is the level of comfort that the quarterback has with his target, and he has a lot with Cedric Wilson. All right, and final question here we got from uh, a gentleman named David. I don't David Hellman, David Hellman, um, and he tweets: I saw that the Joneses were at a football game in Fayetteville last night. Uh, that would have been Saturday. Uh, maybe you could walk us through that and how that game went. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's relevant to the Dallas Cowboys because um, Saturday night would have been college football, I guess. I'm not entirely sure what was going on in the college football world. I had missed um, the LSU-UCLA game the week before, and I had a kind of a backed-up DVR, and I needed to catch up on some things. And so I had you know, avoided the score, didn't want to find out what happened in the LSU-UCLA game because I, I was really excited to see what LSU could do this season. And uh, so I was busy catching up on that on Saturday night. I was not aware the Joneses were anywhere, um, but I, I know that it was not a great game for LSU. And UCLA really took it to him. Um, so that was kind of my Saturday night. I'll, I'll look into this Fayetteville thing. I'm not sure what that's entirely about, but I'm sure there's enough out there that I don't have to speak on it. But I feel like not enough is being made of what happened to LSU at the hands of UCLA. So thank you, uh, David Hellman, for your question. I, I appreciate it. All right, uh, that does it for us today. Um, Chargers, Cowboys coming up this weekend. I know this is a little bit of an odd spot that we're in, given that the Cowboys play Thursday and they don't play again until Sunday. So this show is a little more evergreen. But next week we'll have some uh, immediate reaction for you on that Chargers game. And uh, hopefully the Cowboys are sitting at 1-1 and, and tied for the division lead when we head into next week. All right, we'll talk to you later. Later.